All right, come on, good morning. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord? You've been excited to be here this morning? Man, it's so good to see you guys. You sound so good. We wanna welcome everybody online as well. We also wanna welcome our Ashland campus. We're super excited what God is doing there, especially today. We have so many great things happening today and next week in our Ashland campus. And I'm really excited about this series. I've had so much fun walking through this. We planned this for a while back. And the first week, we talked about Connect Four. And if you missed this series, we're basically taking some of the old school games we used to play as kids, learning some biblical principles from them and how we can apply them to our life. And the first week we looked at the game Connect Four and how we can get connected as a family of God. Last week we talked about Jenga. If you're from the South, it's Jenga. Uh, that's an inside joke in case you missed it. Thank you, my sons, for reminding me of that. And so we talked about what are you gonna build your life on? What is it you're gonna build the foundation? Because if we build it on things that are not stable, things of this world, we know that it will come crashing down. So if you miss any of the last two weeks, we encourage you to go online and watch it. And I just wanna go in and say this for a commercial break as well. If you wanna keep up what's going on here at Better Life Church, I'm telling you one of the greatest things that you could do is to grab your phone and go and download our app and our app, we're gonna have all kinds of great things. We have Bible study on there. We got a verse of the day. We have sermon notes on there. We have all kinds of things. We have our calendar. If you ever wanna know what's going on, you wanna be in the know, that's gonna be the number one thing. We know we're getting into the fall. We could have delay with snow coming up. Not right now soon, but later on. And you and all, we having church this morning. Something happened, there's a delay. That's the best way that you can keep up what's going on with Better Life Church. And so today we're in part three. We're gonna use an old school game a game that most of you know, you've heard about. In fact, it's, it's arguable when it came out. It's, it, you know, they said it came out in 1935, but there's some debate back in 1903. This lady invented the game called the Landlord Game, and she had a patent on this. But then some hiccups, some things went, and in 1935, a game came out that every single one of us played before. And today, we're gonna be addressing, and we're gonna be talking about the game of... Monopoly. How many of you played this game before? If you ever played this game, raise your hand. How many of you are still playing this game because it takes forever? <laughs> right? I asked my wife yesterday, I said, honey, I said, what are some biblical principles that we can learn from Monopoly? Now, if, you, <laughs> if you're a Bible scholar and you're looking through your Bible for the word Monopoly, it's not there, okay? If it is, you have the wrong translation. Just wanna let you know that. And so what can we learn from, the, from this game? What's some biblical principles from the game of Monopoly? And here's what she said. Patience, because it takes forever to play. And that is so, so true. Some of you, like I said, you are still playing this game. Now, if you never played the game Monopoly, you know how it goes, right? I mean, you got this crazy board, it folds in different ways. And the whole goal of this game is to what? The whole goal of this game is to buy property. That's where the debate came about the landlord game in 1903, the lady invented about buying property, is that you buy property and you put house and hotels on it and you wanna collect rent. You wanna collect money. The goal of the game is to collect, kick everyone out by bankrupting them, by taking all their money from them and get as much as you can. And for some reason, everyone wants Broadway and Park Place. The odds of anybody really landing on that, because if you do have houses and hotels, you're gone. You know what I'm saying? You're bankrupt, it's over. And so everybody wants to strive to get to the blue. And there's some strategy behind the game. And you know what the goal is, right? You wanna win at the game and be the last one standing to get all that you can get. 
to get as much as possible and bankrupt the people around you. Now, there are some biblical principles that we can learn from this. We can learn about how to invest your money wisely. That's good. The Bible talks all about how to make wise investments. Put a little bit by little bit, and if you can save a little by little, it will grow. In fact, Albert Einstein said the greatest, most powerful force he's ever discovered on the planet is compound interest. And so there's a way, and the Bible talks about this. Gather a little bit, let it grow little by little. So we could talk about how to invest wisely, and I could spend all day love talking about that stuff. We could talk about how to budget, because if you know, if you ever play Monopoly, you may grab a chance card, you may get a card, and it says, hey, guess what? Unexpected medical bill. Unexpected car broke down. Unexpected, you know, something happened in your life. And so you have to budget wisely for those rainy days. We could do a whole entire message on how to budget wisely. And the Bible tells us that, that we should put little by little back for those rainy days. He says, look at the ants, even the ant store for the winter that's coming. And even though they have no director or master. We can talk about how to manage risk. How's the best thing to do to take your best chance of risk as you walk through life? All those are great, and all those could be three different sermons, but there's something else behind this game of Monopoly. There's something else that I really want to press into and unpack, and it's this. Why do we always want more? Why do we always want more? Now, if you were here last week, you would hear me saying this. There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with having your nice car, your nice house, your big bank account, being the CEO, of the president, the job. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. The problem is when those things have you. That's your focus, that's your desire, that's what you want. Why is it that we always want more? Proverbs 27 says this, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Why are we never satisfied? Why are we never content? And why do we always want more? Now listen, sometimes there's different things in your life and there's different seasons in your life that you feel like you're content, but this desire to want more, where does it come from? And, and how do we combat that? How do we fix that? How do we, how do we move towards of being just satisfied and content? So you know, I, I love studying all kinds of financial stuff. I love this stuff. I could talk about monopoly, real estate, investing, and all this. It's one of the things that intrigues me, and I love studying about it. It's a hobby, I guess you may say. It's something just to keep your mind moving and things like that. And so I love talking about this stuff, but really when, when you do a lot of research, you realize that the average American household, the average American household combined income is $71,000. The average American household today says this, they need $68,000 after taxes to survive. They gotta have 68,000, which means they need to make 85,000, assuming they're in a 20% tax bracket. I just lost some of you, but just hang tight. Your accountant knows what I'm talking about. And so if you're, you have to make 85,000 just to bring home 68,000 after taxes. The average household makes 71, which means they are not making enough money just to barely make ends meet. You hear people say all the time, most people are living paycheck to paycheck, yeah, most are behind. And so they're struggling with this. The, uh, listen, as of July 1st this year, the, the, the American household, that's every household, it could be one family in that household, one person in that household, it could be seven people in that household. The American household, just the households alone, are in $17.1 trillion debt. The household. 
Now that's just, that's just astronomical, that's just uh, unbelievable. For the first time in history, just a few weeks ago, just the other day, the first time in history, the first time, the American credit card debt finally, for the first time, passed $1 trillion. Swipe and go, swipe and go, swipe and go. The average balance per credit card is 6,000, and most people, majority of them, make the minimum payment. There comes a point here, if you're paying 25, 28 North percent interest, there comes a point here, your minimum payment actually will never, ever, ever pay off your debt because your interest will outweigh the payment that you're making. And here's what's even crazy. The average credit card debt balance is 6,000, but the average American carries four credit cards with them. So that statistic, based on the latest data that we have, which means the average household credit card debt, if they carry four, is $24,000 in credit card debt, and that does not even include their house payment, their auto payment, their medical debt payment, their student loan payment, or the personal loans they took out from friends and family. Why is it within us that we just want more? Why is it that we desire and crave that we're never satisfied with maybe with what we have. And so if you look at just those things right there, this, that's facts, that's, that's not like theory. That's not sitting and going, well, maybe someday we'll get there. That is facts. And then look at our country. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's the greatest country to live in the world. But man, it's broke. We are, we are broken. We, we don't understand this. We have to spend more to get more, even though we don't have it. Well, you know this, right? I mean, I am not good at math, but I know the outcome of that. I know the outcome of that. You should know the outcome of that. And so here's the question, why do, why, what, is, what is the belief behind it that desires for us to want more? Here's some false beliefs, here's some false beliefs. Here's, a, here's just a couple of them. One, that if I have more, it would make me happier. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, temporarily, that may be true. And I don't say more makes you happy. In fact, more stuff, if we're talking about stuff, actually can complicate a lot of things. As the great theologian Biggie Small said in the 90s, more money, more problems. That could be true because you have more things that has more insurance, has more liabilities, has more to take care of, it's more stress on you on top of everything that you have. But more money can make life a little easier, right? You can bypass some things in life. You can do some things faster. You can go somewhere. Place. So it's not that it's not gonna bring any happiness. It's where you find your happiness. You believe if I have more, then maybe I will be happier. And I'm here to tell you, that is just not true. There's so many people. There's so much. But I know, but you said, but I never had it, so I don't know, so I desire it. Maybe if I had more. Look what the Ecclesiastes says, chapter five. Those who love money will never have enough. Ever met that person? They have it, but they act like they're broke. They act like they don't have nothing. They always complain about it, but you know they have it. They know that you know they have it. The Bible even speaks of people like that. They walk around act like they're broke, but they're not broke. Like, I mean, some of us, we've really experienced what it's like to be broke. We, and there's some of, some of you may, and I don't know anybody, so you may have experienced like poverty, like really, really, really poverty. But I doubt you've gone 30 days with no food. Like if we really wanna look at poverty, we can look across the third world country, we can see really what impoverished looks like. And, and, and so the Bible says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless it is to think that wealth brings true happiness. 
This is one of the wisest persons ever walked the face of the planet. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Some of you are laughing at that because you have some broke family members trying to borrow money from you, don't you? Like you have your broke brother-in-law teaching you about finances. No, wait, what? We have, finance, we have professors who teach finances who don't know how to operate their own money. Like, I mean, it's just it's crazy. That people will come and help you spend it, so what good is this wealth? Except perhaps just to watch it slip through your fingers. Just watch it just go away. So the thought is if I have more, I will be happier. And that is just not necessarily true. Here's another one. If I have more, it make me more important. That people might respect me. It's the status. If I just have more, I may be more important. Look at what Luke says. It says, then he says this, beware. Guard against every, greed, every kind of greed. Life is not be- measured by how much you own. Now your net worth, you listen, your, your self-worth is not found in your net worth. But people measure themselves by what they have, by the same, I would be more important. I love what the Bible says, be on guard, which means it's a constant guard that you got to evaluate yourself and ask yourself the question. By having this really gonna make me happier, by having this is really gonna make me more important, by having this is really gonna increase my status for who? Like who cares what my status may be? And so if I have more, it, it makes me more important. And then here's a big one, this is the big one. Maybe this probably hits more guys. I mean for some reason just as a guy, think about this. But if I have more, then I'd be more secure. I gotta be financially independent. I can't depend on anything else. I gotta be financially secure. I wanna retire with dignity. I wanna retire best I can. I gotta put away for the rainy day. And you should invest. You should plan all that. Absolutely. But I found my security in the things that I have. And if I have more, then I will be secure. And we talked about that last week in playing with Jenga, right? Like you could put all your faith and stuff, and all of a sudden it could all crumble down and things that you put and find your stability in. Proverbs 18, and I'm going to say this, if you're a business owner, you're a manager, you're a boss, or you lead people, if you love finances and money, and you talk about how to run money, and how to spend it, how to invest it, use it wisely, I'm gonna give you, the Bible is full in the book of Proverbs on how to run a business, on how to treat employees, on how to spend your money, invest your money, and wisely, I'm encouraging you, go read the book of Proverbs, it's unbelievable about how good it talks about how to really win with your money. Look what Proverbs 18 11 says. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Now you gotta put yourself in their perspective. The higher the wall, you can't scale it. So we built this wall all the way around our city to be fortified. And if the wall is so high, the enemy can't come in and take it away from us. And the same way we think about that as well. If we just have the nest egg, if we can just build up the wall, then I can be behind it and I can be secure. And that is falsehood, and that is wrong. Proverbs 23, 4, again, back in Proverbs. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Be wise enough when it's time just to quit. Because in a blink of an eye, I love this, this is so funny. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout its wings and fly like an eagle. I don't know why I did that, but it's made me think of an eagle. And you know this, right? The things you have, like, it's just, it can sprout rings, it can flower. It's here today and gone tomorrow. You built your whole life and then a moment could crumble and a moment could be gone. And that's where you find your safety. That's why you find security. That's where you find your stability. And last week we learned about Jenga. That is not true because at any moment it all can come crashing down. So here's the question. How do I fix this? How do I escape this desire materialism? 
How do I just escape this desire that I got to get, get, get more, 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 more? And somebody's like, man, listen, that's not me because I don't have anything to go after. I don't have money or have stuff to even go get more. Yeah, but you think about it. You think about it. You dream about it. You desire about it. And so what are some things I could do? This is very practical, but yet this is so profound. Not every one of you struggle with materialism. Some of you are 100% content. I married that person. I can't get her to do nothing. I can't get her to buy anything. I'm like, here you go, get what you want. No, here, let me get this for you. No, hey, I, I, I buy her a card for our wedding anniversary. The first thing she does is flips them and goes, you paid $7 for this? I'm serious. I just stopped buying cards. You know what you get, honey, for your wedding anniversary? Me. That's it. And that's enough. And so, so some of you, you are content, and you're like, I don't, I don't, that stuff don't bother me. That, that's who I married. It's not, I mean, I gotta force that. Like, come on, it's like, no, she, she's the one to hold it. Because how many of you married somebody who likes to spend? You married a spender. Come on, we're gonna be honest with you, right? Everyone not raise your hand, you a spender, you a spender. I know that, right? You always have someone who wants to budget, and someone's like, what's money? And they just don't care. It's funny how we just marry opposites, right? It's just hilarious. And so there's one grounded person, but there's one who cares. And listen, listen, I'm, I'm gonna tell you how we can, there's nothing, please hear this out. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. It's just, just that when the stuff has you and it's your main focus and it's what you think about, it's where you find your security and your safety and your self-worth. It's not found in those things. So what are some practical things that you can do? Let me, let me, let me encourage you some things. Some things I wrote down here. How do we move from get, 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 and just more, 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 and break this trap that the enemy has and snares on? Oh, listen, I'm, not, I'm preaching to all of us, man. I'm talking to all of us right here. Like, how do we break this trap in our life? Here, here's, some, here's the first thing. I would encourage you, stop comparing yourself or stop comparing myself to what other people have. This is so big. Like, you, 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 you unconsciously even do this. You compare yourself to what other people have. And I'm gonna show you how you do this. I'm gonna tell you how you have done this before. Have you ever seen someone before, don't raise your hand, please, Gary Gordon, Lord, don't raise your hand. Have you ever seen someone before and you thought to yourself or you said to your spouse or you said to your friend, you said to someone, I have no idea how they can afford that. Come on, don't sit there with your halo on. You know what I'm talking to, right? Like, I have, how in the world can they afford that? I know what they make. I know what they do for a living. How in the world do they buy that? How, they went on three, vac three vacations? I can't even get one vacation. How is that possible? Oh, they put those pictures on Facebook at the beach every time they go. They, they went to Disney. It cost 10 grand to go to Disney for a week. How can they afford it? You've done this. We've all have done this. We look at somebody and we compare. Well, if I only had that, well, I would probably be, I wish I could take my kids. I wish I could sit around and just sit around. I wish I could go to the beach. I wish I, and watch this, uneven consciously, it's in us to start comparing what other people have. Whether they drive something, live in something, go on a vacation, they dress a certain way. They can, I can't believe they had vintage clothes on. Listen, here's the reality. You only have to buy one set of clothes and three times in your lifetime, you'll be hip because it all comes back around. If I'd have kept my high school shirts right now, I'd be, I'd, I'd retire. 
Like, I can sell these shirts. Like, it's crazy. I had a pair of Jordans in school, high school, a pair of Jordans. They'd been in a barn rotting. I think my father-in-law was born. My wife found them a few years ago, threw them away. These were just threw them away because they mildew and stuff. And all of a sudden, my son comes back and says, Dad, your shoes in the barn with mildew, even old, are selling for $2,000 on eBay. You know what your boy did? I went to the barn. I started looking for everything. I started finding, like, I'll sell whatever I've got. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's just, it's just crazy. Why? Because it's the new thing. I gotta fit in. I gotta look a certain way, so I gotta have. So what I do? Swipe and go. Swipe and go. Swipe and go. Make the minimum payment. And we laugh at that. And I know it's funny, but that's just what we do, even unconsciously. Because honestly, at the end of the day, I have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, have a certain way. It's a status. And we compare ourselves with other people, and we ask ourselves, how in the world can they afford it? And you had no idea, and you don't know this, but their family member pitched in and paid for them to go, but you don't know that. They had an uncle that helped them pay for that car because they didn't have it. You don't know that. So you don't know the backstory. You don't know what's going on. You're sitting there going, well, I know their salary. There's no way they can afford that. And you have no idea how someone has blessed them or helped them along the way. And we compare and we go, listen, listen, to, what, listen to what Timothy said, young preacher Timothy. He said, but people who long to be rich fall into the temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destructions. Because here's what happens. We tend to get possessed by other people's possessions. And it will possess us. As Dave Ramsey says, we buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't like. And we'll swipe and go, and we'll swipe and go. And we wonder why we're in $17 trillion in debt, just our households. And we wonder why we complain that we can never get ahead. We can never, ever, ever. I'm telling you, listen, these are basic principles. So one is we gotta stop comparing ourselves with other people. Here's the second one. This is a big one. And this is, what my, this is, this is my wife, and she, she, this is her right here. Just be grateful for what you do have. Just be grateful for what you do have. There are gonna be some with bigger barns. That's just how it goes. There's gonna be, it's just this life, right? There's gonna be somebody that's gonna have more than you. There's gonna be somebody that you have more than. I mean, just like, but be grateful and content for what you do have. And he's like, well, I don't have much. Be thankful for what you have. This is an attitude. This is a heart issue. Ecclesiastes says this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Have you ever tried to chase the wind? Have you, have anybody, has anybody ever caught it? Have you won at that game? Isn't that me? If, if you came to me and said, Pastor Daniel, man, what are you doing? I'm chasing the wind, man, I gotta get it. He's like, why are you wasting all your time and your energy? It's meaningless. Right, and that's what the Bible says when it comes to chasing this and starting being grateful for what you do have and desiring what you don't have, it's like chasing the wind, it's just meaningless. You're wasting your time and your energy. And we do this all the time. Hebrews 13 says this, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never fail you, never abandon you. This is so good. If you want to loosen the game of monopoly, like in your life, even if you lose Everything, I love this, that's what it says. don't love money, don't find your security, look what it says. We quote this on, Jesus says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You know what the context that was? When you find your purpose and stuff that don't last, don't love money, because I, watch this, I'm the one who will never leave you. I'm the one that's not gonna grow wings and fly away. I'm the one who's stable in your life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. you can, if you lose it all, I'm still there. 
That's the context. When he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we've got to figure this out in our life. I love this. It says, notice this. You can circle in your Bible. He says, don't love money. He didn't say about money. He says, it's the love of money. People say, money's the root of all evil. It's not, money is not. The love of it is. Who invented money? God did. Who came up with the system? God did. He wants us not to love it, but to use it. You see, listen, he wants us to, see, we're to love people, but we're to use money. And God says this, you're to use money and you're to love people. If you start loving money, you'll start using people. If you start loving people, you'll start using your money. And it's about the love. The only thing that's gonna last for all eternity is your soul and God's word. That's why we invest in things that are eternal, that will last, not just stuff. If you really love people, then you'll start using your money to help those around you. And how do I do that? Leads me to the third one, is that you've got to focus on Jesus. You've got to keep your focus on the eternal things. Not just what the world says, not just status, not just the stuff around us. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. Colossians 3.2 says this, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. When's the last time you just sat around and thought about eternal things? And I'm not, I'm not here to shame you, dude. I'm, I'm talking part to myself. Like, when's the last time we talked about eternal things? I'm thinking about eternal things, like eternity. What's to come? Am I investing in the kingdom? Am I investing in eternity? Am I doing the things that's been, that's helping the people who really need help? Because if I really love people, then I'm gonna use the resources that I have to help the people around me. But if I love money, I'm gonna use people to get it as much as I can. He tells us here, keep our thoughts on heaven, not on the things of earth. Why? Why does he say think of heaven? Why? Because thoughts become feelings and feelings become behavior. You behave the way because you feel a way. You only feel a way because you think a way. If you think about eternity, your feelings will be get that way. Your behavior will go that way. So that's why the Bible says think about these things because this is the battlefield. This is where it begins. Because Jesus even said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I have a friend, he's in his 80s. He's tens and tens of millions of dollars, if not a couple hundred million. Loves the Lord. Been friends for the last nine years, great relationship. Treats me like a grandson. He's in a different time zone, so he calls me usually at midnight. And we'll talk from time to time, and he'll, he'll say, how's things going? How's it going there in Kentucky? How's the church going and stuff, and, and all this stuff. And then we'll talk about some investments, some things he's doing, some things he's making, things like that, and we'll shoot the bull. And he always, he always says, Daniel, keep your eyes on Jesus. All this stuff is meaningless. You are doing the most important thing you could ever do. Preach the gospel, get people saved, help them see Jesus. You keep doing it, young guy. You keep doing it, young buck. You keep going after it over and over and over. Here's someone who has everything that you would ever dream or desire, access to it, and here's what it says. Exactly what Psalm, it's meaningless. The only most important thing is people getting saved. How can I use my, he'll ask, how can I use my resources to see more people get saved? Because when you get to the top and you have it on, you realize it can't buy happiness. And he's lost his son 
to a tragedy and he's lost people in his life and your health begins to decline and you can barely now shuffle your feet and you see how things grow strangely dim and the things that you could have at your fingertips, it all goes away. All of a sudden, eternity becomes light and go, what can we do to impact the kingdom of God? How do I use the resources that I have? And you could do that whether you're broke, whether you're upper class, lower class, even if you ain't got no class, you can do that. And I'm thankful for people like that in our lives who will keep us grounded and say, this means you keep doing the greatest thing ever, and that is to see people give their life to Jesus. So what are some practical things we can do? We can stop comparing ourselves to what other people have. We could be grateful for what we do have. That's an attitude. You can keep your focus on Jesus. That is your choice to think about the things above. And then here's the last one, give. Give. You see, giving is the opposite of getting. And you know, people, people say all the time, I ain't going to that church, they just want your money. Well, quit going to Walmart, they want yours. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy, I man. People are, man, that church is all about your money. Really? Really? I had a guy tell me that one time. He sat down with him out to eat lunch. He said, man, Pastor, he said, man, I feel like all you talk about is money. I said, oh, yeah, man, really talk to me about that. I said, what are you? He said, this, this, and this, 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 this. And I pulled up our sermon feed. I said, how many times this year in 12 months you've heard me talk about money? Once out of 52 Sundays. We'll come to find out he's having problems in his life. See, there's always personal stuff. The people say, I just want my money. That's a heart issue, man. That's between you and the Lord. And could there be some churches out there? Sure, man, I can't, I can't speak for every church out there. I don't, I don't know. We've never, ever been about your money. I'm not about your money, I'm about your heart. Listen, God don't need your money. If he wants your money, he beats you up and take your money. Like, he don't need your money. You thought about that? God's just gonna take it. Like, God, like God needs you. Your stuff, your resources. And so why do you get tense when someone, or especially church, starts talking about it? And let me be honest, I'm not being mean, I'm gonna be really honest. If you tense up and you just get all tense about it, like, oh, I just can't believe you're talking about it, it's because money has become your little G God. There's something that you're believing that's false for you to feel that way. Because God doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. And so let me tell you what really truly breaks the grip of greed and materialism in your life is to be generous and give. You know that new shiny object you want? You want it so bad and you can buy it, but you want it. Let me tell you what to do. Go buy it and give it away. I'm gonna break this desire in my heart. Go buy it and give it to somebody. Well, that's extreme. How bad do you wanna escape materialism? You wanna keep serving the little G God? And I'm preaching to all of it. I'm not just preaching at you, I'm talking to all of us. So what do you do? You give. Give is giving is what breaks it. The grip on your life. Listen to this, listen. The apostle Paul, who saw Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. Now you gotta understand, you can call me old fashioned, you can, whatever you wanna call, your pastor is ultra, ultra, ultra conservative in the scripture, ultra conservative. I believe this is God's inspired, infallible, and errant word. I believe every word of it, I believe God said what he means, he means what he says, that this is what we base our life, our foundation, my calling, my eternity on the pages of this book. 
And when you see the Apostle Paul, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, pulled in a young preacher named Timothy. He said, yo, preacher, come here, come here, come here. Timothy, listen, I need you to preach this because the Holy Spirit told me to tell you to preach this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he writes him a letter. And that's what we have the letter to the young preacher, Timothy. And listen to what he says, 1 Timothy 6. He says, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and trust in their money, which is so unreliable that they should trust, that their trust should be in God who richly gives all, us all, we need for our enjoyment. I know what you're saying, pastor, I'm not rich. Do you know that if, you, if your family household income is over $40,000, you're in the top 1% earners in all the planet. If your family household income is over 40,000 a year, you're in the top one percentile out of everyone on the planet. We are so rich, we have houses for our cars that you can't even park in car garage because you swipe and go with all the junk in it. You're rich. So tell those who are rich, don't trust in their money. That's unreliable. It's like Jenga, right? It can fall down. But they should trust in God who gives richly. Watch this, watch this. Don't miss this. For your enjoyment, God give it to you to enjoy it. God wants you to enjoy it. Tell them to use their money, not use people. Tell them to use their money. Okay, preacher, what do you want me to tell them? Use their money to do good. That they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So guess what? All you folks out there, use your money to do good. Go help those who are in need and bless those. That's what the scripture told the preacher to tell us. And then look what he says. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others, always be ready. And watch this, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they will make experience true life. You've heard people say all the time, well, you can't take it with you. No, but you can send it ahead of you. When you invest in people in the kingdom of God, I tell it all the time, you don't give to the church, you give through the church. We've helped people over thousands and thousands. We've over 3,000 people been saved. Through the generosity of you and me. Is that amazing? You play a role in that. And so we need to be generous. So we need to give and bless, but then we also need to return. And we need to return back to God what's His. See, God owns it all. Really, honestly, you don't own anything the bank does, okay? Let's just be real, the bank owns it all. But really, here's the reality. You just have it temporarily. Everything you have was somebody else's before. And everything you have now eventually would be somebody else's. It's not even, you're just temporarily using it. You're just using what you have. Because eventually, somebody else is gonna have it. They're gonna buy it, you're gonna pass it on, they're gonna get it, it's gonna go right through your fingers because you can't take it with you. God said, everything I, you have is mine. And so how do I fix that? How do I fix this Greek, this, this, and holds on to me. Well, you've heard churches talk about it. You've heard me preach about it. You know the scripture talk about it. And that's why we bring the tithe to him. Now don't get caught up on the tithe. Tithe means 10%. 10% in the Bible just means testing. God could have said 90%, 75%, 50%. Why 10? Because 10 in the Bible is a test. God tests you every time you get paid. He's gonna test you. Where are you gonna find your hope and your security? And here's the problem with tithing. For those who don't make a lot of money, 
You go, I can afford it. For those of you who make too much money, I pay too much in taxes. I can't, I can't tithe. You know how much my tax bracket, you know how much I give away, I get almost half my stuff away in taxes, how can I come with another 10%? And that becomes our excuses. But here's, let me tell you this, isn't it? Tithing, it's not a budget issue, it's not a broke issue, it's not a tax issue, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And so Malachi 3.10, look what he says. I want you to bring the whole tithe, that's 10%, watch it, into the storehouse so that they may be food in my house. Watch it. And put me to the test now. Watch this, watch this. It's the only place in the Bible where God says test me. The only place. Now, if God stood before you and said, come on, test me. Test me. You know, God's standing right here and say, trust fall. We're gonna do a trust fall, okay? Now fall, and God says, test me and see if I'm gonna catch you. We'd have no problem going, it's God. He's got me. He's got the whole world in his hand. Surely he can hold me up, right? Come on. The only place in the Bible says, test me. I'm gonna test you with your material stuff. I'm gonna test you and see truly because what's gonna grip your heart most. Think about it. Think about how much of your time is spent on how I'm gonna make money, save money, invest money, spend money, budget my money. Do I have enough money? Get my kids through school, get my kids through college, put food on the table, take care of an ailing parent. How are, we gonna, how are we gonna make this happen? How much are we keeping out of our pay? Think about how much, even unconscious, you spend thinking about it, and God knows it could become a little G-God in your life. So we're gonna break the grip. You're gonna bring back to me, he says. Test me. And what I'm gonna tell you, exactly what the prophet Malachi said. Testing. Like, I dare you to test him. Test him and see. Bring to him what's him. You don't give a tithe. You bring it because it's already his. And look what he says. And see if I do not open up for you the windows of heavens and pour out your blessing until it overflows. Now, this for the record, I don't know what God's blessing in your life will be. That's between him and you. Don't think a material means blessings because most people have a lot of it are broke. And then your neighbor next door who has nothing and drives that old 1979 Chevy is rich because he knew how to win with his money. He says, test me and see if it doesn't overflow. Because at the end of the day, if you stop comparing yourself, be grateful for what you have, keep your focus on Jesus and be generous and give and bring back to him, here's what you need to know. At the end of the day, guess what? It all goes back in the box. And the game's over. And the game of life is over. And everything you built, built your house and your life on, trying to get more, 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 is now gone. And you've passed from death to life into eternity. And I promise you in eternity, it's not gonna matter on the status and the stuff that you have. So let's be people that begins to break this grip of materialism in our life. And let's see what God will do. I'm gonna ask people just to bow your heads. This is not a tough subject. I love talking about this stuff because it really could set you free and, be, and you'd be able to do whatever God's called you to do and bless people, be generous to people and have an attitude of gratitude in your heart. If this message at all of our campuses or online, if it hit a nerve in you, 
Talk about that. Like, why, ask God, why is this bothering me? Where is this coming from? Do I really trust you with my life? Do I really trust you to put food on the table? Do I really trust you that you're gonna be secure in my life? Do I really trust when I get to retirement, you will take, do I really trust that you're gonna help me get my family through and you fill in the blank? Is it a trust issue? Like if it hit a nerve, please listen. I welcome the discussion, talk about it. We have people in the next step. We have people who would love to have a conversation. Come, let's talk about that. Because the greatest thing you could ever bring back to God is yourself. Bring to Him. He created you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And today, you can confess Him as Lord. You can say, Jesus, I believe you came for me. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And Jesus, I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today, I repent of my sin and put all my faith and trust in you. And you know what King Jesus will do? He will forgive you. And He will save you. And that's my prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how true and relevant God that speaks to us today, every one of us. I pray at the end of the day, Lord, that our focus is on you. We keep our eyes on you. We keep our eyes on eternity. That we'll think about these things. And God, that as you lead in God, is that we will use our resources that we have to advance your kingdom, to bless the people, around us, to help the people around us because we love people more than we love stuff. God, I can't wait to see what you're gonna do in our hearts and our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.